Hello and welcome to this Tuesday episode. This is where we have these little clips that I know you're going to find really interesting. I've gone through the archive and I've just gone to listen to some of the best episodes from the last two years of running UK Low Carb. And there are so many little nuggets in there that you might miss or you might not have heard or maybe did hear two years ago or more. And then you kind of uh, haven't remembered or you haven't thought about since then. So um, today's clip is a really special one. This is actually not my episode. It's the it's the one episode on the whole podcast where I was nothing to do with it at all. And that's because my lovely wife, Besma, uh, is actually interviewing Lydia Nichols. And they're talking about gestational diabetes. Now, the reason this is particularly special with those two is because they worked together when Besma was going through uh, the pregnancies with our children. And so that's where we learned about low carb. It's where we made the changes in our lives. Um, and where in particular, of course, she became much healthier uh, because of the advice that Lee Nichols gave her through those pregnancies. Secondly, the fact that Lee Nichols is a dietitian, I find incredibly exciting because, as I'm sure you know, most dietitians, um, I, I don't know if that's true, but I think most dietitians would challenge the keto low carb approach. Uh, and recommend balance and healthy grains. And the fact that Lily Nichols is a dietitian saying that actually she thinks you can go on a keto low-carb diet is really positive. The fact that Bestman's a doctor too, even though she's not talking in, in her role or profession as a doctor, I think it gives you an idea that these two have a really good understanding uh, of the guidelines. Now, this episode is, or this little clip from the episode, is all about the guidelines that medical teams work to uh, in the States, and it's questioning where is the evidence behind those guidelines. It's really fascinating, and I'll hand over now to Lily Nichols and to Bess McGrief. A lot of the guidelines are not based on strong evidence at all. Um, pretty and, much and some of them are... Where... Yeah. So, I mean, this... Yeah. Um, you know, let's uh, take the example of the minimum carbohydrate requirement for pregnancy. I mean, uh, just I, I, I think I remember reading that in your book, but just just run me through. Like, did anybody ever manage to find the the, the evidence or the so-called evidence for that? I did, actually. It's in the uh, Institute of Medicine has a it's like a 1300 page document on nutrient requirements. I think that one's specific to macronutrients. And there's a section on carbohydrates and a section on pregnancy. And they walk you through how they came up with that number. Um, not, not, it's a little convoluted, but you can, you can put it together when you read that. Um, and essentially, they start with an estimated average requirement of carbohydrates for a non-pregnant person, which is assumed to be 100 grams. And then they add on additional carbohydrate to account for the uh, glucose requirements of the fetal brain. So how much glucose is the fetal brain pulling from mother on a daily basis? Um, they don't consider that, that that could be coming from endogenous sources in the mom, right? That's from mm -hmm. outside. Mm -hmm. um, and even that estimate, you read research and it varies. So they, they chose one random mm -hmm. number to go with on that. And then they add in additional carbohydrate to account for the increased energy demand of pregnancy. So if we assume there's going to be an extra three to 500 calories per day required, and you're going to be getting approximately 45 to 65% of those calories from carbohydrates, they calculate that out and add it in. And there's some rough numbers around there, but they um, seem to round up to 175 grams. And the original 
you know, and the first thing that you mentioned there was that they took the minimum carbohydrate requirement for an adult. Um, Estimated average carbohydrate requirement for an adult. Yes. Yeah. Of 100 and grams. Of which, 100 grams. Now, where right. does that come from? Because is there such a thing as an essential carbohydrate? Well, when you read in the Institute of Medicine document, they contradict themselves all over the place because they do point out that there is no, you know, minimum requirement of carbohydrates, assuming that a person is eating adequate calories from protein and fat. In other words, gluconeogenesis happens. Mm -hmm. Your body can create glucose from fat and protein. Um, and so you're not going to die if you don't eat carbohydrates, but you will die if you don't eat fat and protein, right? Mm, um, yeah. So yeah, there are a lot of contradictions in there. And you you tend to see a lot of that when you start digging into almost any guidelines, but it was especially clear on the carbohydrates in pregnancy. Yeah. So this is the same, the, so, so the same document that says that you can survive on fat and protein then says... Okay, so we need 100 grams a day of carbohydrate exactly. in the same document. So, exactly. yeah, pretty contradictory. And then, you know, and then this uh, figure for pregnancy has been, you know, people have almost forgotten where it comes from because people just cite the paper, the last paper that said it, and then exactly. they cite another paper, and you've just gone on this massive trail and found this original, you know, this is where it came from, slightly plucked out of the air. Um, yeah, it was pretty shocking to uncover that. And also pretty frustrating to have worked in sort of like a public policy position and to not have had any of my other colleagues question this stuff. Mm. You know, it's like some of you guys have been working in this field for 30 years and I'm the young dietitian coming in here. So I, you know, I'd like to think that I can trust. Mm the precedent that's been set, but nobody could tell me where the 175 gram figure came from. It was almost like, why are you even asking? Why are you even questioning? This? I do, that's the requirement. I do find it fascinating because, you know, as you know, I'm also, well, I'm a medical practitioner. Um, I, it's worth me mentioning at this point, my medical disclaimer <laughs> that I am not an endocrinologist. I'm not a diabetologist. I'm not an obstetrician. Um, but uh, I am a doctor who happens to have an interest in low carb and I've had a couple of gestational diabetes pregnancies myself. But one thing just as a general observation, um, you know, it's quite possible to work as a medical practitioner just following the protocols blindly and actually, you know, have a, a, a great career treating people yeah. and never really digging into the evidence behind things and, you know, or going back to the primary sources to think for yourself. Um, but I believe actually that having gestational diabetes and then kind of making my own mind up about how I wanted to eat in my pregnancy um, was right. a kind of a massive turning point for me personally, because I'd always been the sort of person, I actually cringe now when I think, because I remember seeing patients in clinic and sometimes they would mention to me um, a supplement or a, uh, you know, or a way of eating. They may have even asked me about low carb. And I remember being very dismissive and sort of saying, oh, well, I don't know about that. But the reason I don't know about it is because if it was truly effective, then it would be national guidance. And that now makes me so embarrassed. Now, I still, if somebody came to me in clinic in, you know, in the future when I'm back to clinical work and ask me the same question, I, 
um, I wouldn't be able to necessarily endorse anything in particular that wasn't guidance, probably for the same reasons that we've talked about earlier about, right. you know, you have to be extremely careful about the advice that, uh, you know, that you give to patients. It has right. to be evidence-based. And if I haven't personally reviewed the evidence, then I wouldn't be able to give my opinion on it. But I just feel like in my tone, I would be so much less dismissive nowadays that, that you know, we know but little, actually. Right. And there is a lot out there, um, yeah. you know, that we are still yet to discover. Um, yeah. So that's one thing that I think, you know, of this experience has has kind of changed the way that I would do things in the future. Uh, because up until that point, I was so happy to just, you know, I'd arrive in a new clinic. I'd be like, give me the flow sheet. Tell me what we do here. Um, right, right. <laughs> and also as clinicians, we're really, really busy, right? It's not yeah. like you have time in clinic to be reading research studies. You rely on those guidelines or you rely on the research of other people. Um, and, and that's a, a tough thing. We can't expect like a GP to be reading, you know, 30 studies on gestational diabetes, they're going to do what the national organization tells them to do. And you should be able to trust that information. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of frustrating on a systemic level too. It is frustrating. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it, um, you know, as, as it goes on and, you know, hopefully there, there will be incremental changes, uh, you know, in that and maybe a bit of a movement in the medical profession to demand uh, change as well. Um, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right, which actually makes it even more incredible that you had this busy practice during the day and then at, by night you were reviewing the evidence and sort of making your own mind up, you know, and, and I'm so glad you did because I have to say, when I, uh, when I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes the first time, um, I went onto the internet to try and find guidance, to try and find somebody to talk to about low carb uh, and pregnancy, and I couldn't find anything. And there was nobody. And I even asked on yep. Twitter and I said, you know, does anybody know a low carb dietitian that I can speak to about my gestational diabetes pregnancy? And the most I got from the UK was one name, uh, but they weren't open to speaking to anyone. You know, they didn't have that kind of practice. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how I ended up actually finding you because. Uh, yep. I, I had to go to the States <laughs> to, to find somebody who was willing to talk about this. And I'm connected you know. to a lot of, I mean, there are many low carb dietitians who have come before me. Um, and I talked to as many of them as I could when I was doing this gestational diabetes thing. And like, am I crazy to think that we could be going lower carb here? And because none of them specialized in prenatal nutrition, it was sort mm -hmm. of like, don't touch pregnancy with a 10 foot pole. Cause there's too much that we don't know. And the, like the stakes are too high. Like they didn't want to do it. They didn't yeah. want to talk to me about it either. So, so talk about feeling like, Oh gosh, what do we do here? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, you're kind of, I guess out on a limb, but with this thing that you really believe in. Um, and I just wanted to touch on as well. I mean, I, I, I don't know a lot of detail about the case, but then, um, the Tim Noakes case, um, mm -hmm. you know, which um, if I've got the if I've got the gist of the story correct, centered around um, advice on what to give a child or, you know, what to give a baby Something like that. Yeah. 
Um, you know, and obviously that ended up in, uh, you know, I, I, I believe he was being pursued by his regulatory body in South Africa. Um, and I just wonder if cases like that would, you know, also have an impact on the psyche of practitioners like yourself, where you just, you know, um, or, or maybe yeah. not. <laughs> uh, no, it does. And again, that's why I cite everything. And that's why, you know, all people, everyone's going to come at you from all sides with their criticism. And they always do. I just got an email from today from a dietitian who disagrees with me and that's fine. Um, it's part of the reason that my recommendations, you know, you know, my book and you have my course, yeah. so you know, like the carb recommendations, they're really not that low carb, right? Mm, mm. So 175 grams is the minimum they come out with in the guidelines. Like I yeah. have a range that I recommend, but the upper tier of that range is 150 grams. Mm, yeah. It's yeah. not, it's like 25 grams less. It's not that much. Moreover, yeah. you're not yeah. going to, you have to make sure that you're meeting all the micronutrient requirements yeah. of pregnancy, which you are. And in fact, you actually often exceed those micronutrient um, your micronutrient intake when you're eating more real food. So it's not just about like arbitrarily cutting carbs and not doing anything I else. Never, it's about replacing it with real food. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'd never felt like I was so well nourished as when I was eating for that pregnancy because wow. I felt like yeah. I was just having such a range of foods. And, you know, and suddenly, you know, when you are cutting back on things like bread and potatoes, you have just Different. so many other options, you know, yeah. full of vitamins that you can be eating. Exactly. Um, and all it takes is running a quick micronutrient analysis, you know? So it's like, run the micronutrient analysis. You got to consider what other cultures do. There's many cultures that eat lower carbohydrate amounts than our Western guidelines mm, tell us and that our mm. Western countries do. Yeah. Um, and also for me, it's like just citing everything. Like yeah. here is the research. You can come to your own conclusion. If you disagree with me, then please write your own book, cite everything mm, and mm. give me all the rationale for doing what yeah. you're doing. Because what I read from the guidelines is, is not that evidence-based. Yeah. They'll yeah. call it yeah. evidence-based but there's really not hard science to back 45 to 65% of our calories coming from carbohydrates. Like who decided that's a good idea? Yeah. You know, just in 2015, they did the first ever study um, that directly measured protein requirements in pregnant women. 2015, that was the first wow. ever study measuring protein requirements in pregnant women. And guess what they found? The guidelines are way off. They're 73% too low for late pregnancy, you know, wow, but that's here we've been going by the guidelines for all of these years. And it's like, when new evidence comes out, we have to do better. <laughs> that's all I can say. 